invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, I'll be reading verse 1 to verse 19. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,068. Let us now hear God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to, de- Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ It was the first day of the week, and it was the week of the Passover feast, the celebration that the Jews remembered concerning the Lord's hand of mercy upon Israel when he delivered them from the hand of Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh. You remember when the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites and spared their firstborn sons. Because the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost. When the angel of death saw the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the doorpost of the Israelite home, the angel of death passed over. And that was an act that occurred in Exodus chapter 12. And then it was to be commemorated following that event that occurred. 
And so the Jews celebrated the Passover week, also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, large Jews populated Jerusalem at this time and filled the streets. If you own an Airbnb, it was a very lucrative time of year. It is estimated that about 2 to 3 million people would populate Jerusalem or the nearby towns, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian. A lot of people, large crowds gathered. And the large crowd was probably a combination here of people from Bethany and the city of Jerusalem as they came out to see who? To see Jesus. To see Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, the city of the Davidic king. They had heard about Jesus and how he raised Lazarus from the dead, and they heard about his many mighty works and miracles and his authoritative teaching. At verses 9 to 11, the Bible says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, that is Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. They heard he was dead, but now he's been raised from the dead. And now the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death. Poor Lazarus. So they came out to see Jesus, and they were going away believing in Jesus. Why wouldn't you go out to see Jesus? Who wouldn't? When you hear these things occurring, these miracles, his teachings, he raised a man from the dead. Lazarus was dead four days, actively decaying in a tomb. And Jesus called him out of it with his authoritative voice, word, come out. And Lazarus is all bound up. Wow. The large crowds wanted a blessing from the Lord. They wanted to praise the Lord and receive his blessing. But the religious leaders wanted his life. They wanted his life. But the king knows that his hour has come. He leaves Bethany and Bethpage for the city of the king, Jerusalem, riding into the city on a donkey's colt. In our context, or our text here, King Jesus rides into the city and he receives first a joyful reception of praise. A joyful reception of praise from the people, the children, the large crowd. And we see this clearly in verses 12 to 13. The next day, that is, it's a Sunday, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. He receives a joyful reception of praise with palm branches, a national symbol of pride, a symbol of victory, a symbol of joy, used for celebrations. 
It's like if you have a parade in a town and you see the American flag flying, that American flag symbolizes freedom. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Flags of nations symbolize or are a sign of something. Palm branches were a national symbol for Israel. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the, on the temple walls and on temple furniture and on temple doors, you see palm branches engraved. That in the temple there's life, there's celebration, there's joy and victory. And these people, this large crowd, they're celebrating victory. Because here is King Jesus riding into Jerusalem. They not only wave palm branches, but his joyful reception of praise is spoken. They praise him with their voices, saying, Hosanna, that is, save us, O Lord. Deliver us, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. During the Passover, Psalms 113 to Psalms 118 were sung during this time. They were called Hallel Psalms, songs of praise. And right here is Psalm 118 speaking, being spoken and sung to Jesus by the large crowd. Surely this King of Israel, the King of the Jews, David's royal son, is going to set us free from the tyranny of the Romans. He's going to set us free and save us from Roman oppression and establish His earthly kingdom. Surely now is the time. Now is the time. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the victory that King Jesus will bring to Israel. But his kingdom is not of this world because later in John, when he is talking to Pontius Pilate, Jesus says, this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, I would have legions of angels fight for me. But his kingdom is not of this world. The King of Messiah came to reign and rule in his people by his word and spirit. He is transforming lives by the gospel. And yes, cultures and nations are being transformed by Christ himself, by the gospel when people repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. And the kingdom of Christ is growing. And he has shown signs of the kingdom's coming in himself when he preached and proclaimed the gospel and healed many, raising the dead, healing the sick, preaching the authoritative word of God. His kingdom came in a person, Jesus. But they were expecting a king who would save them from oppression, Roman oppression. And that's an important point because first the king must suffer and die according to the scriptures. You see, the king 
and his mission wasn't political, but redemptive. His mission was redemptive. And they were unaware of his divine mission to save sinners through his sacrifice. His mission wasn't liberation from political powers or national powers. His liberation that he provides is from our sin and misery and Satan's grip upon his people. He came to pay the penalty of our sin. He came to lay down his life for you, Christian. That was his mission in his first coming. And this king who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt came not for a coronation, but for a crucifixion. Unbeknownst to the large crowd there. And so King Jesus receives a joyful reception of praise, and rightly so. Secondly, King Jesus rides into Jerusalem and his entrance into Jerusalem is a humble entry of the Passover lamb. A humble entry of the Passover lamb. Verse 14 and 15, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The Old Testament scriptures foretold this moment in history, in time, when Israel's king would come and is come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he comes as one who is humble and lowly. And the author here, John, quotes, references Zechariah 9, verse 9. And in Zechariah chapter 9, it actually literally says, Rejoice greatly, not fear not, but rejoice greatly. And we have to understand when the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, oftentimes they will combine from various prophetic literature other writers of the Old Testament. And so fear not is often used in the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. Fear not, fear not, daughter of Zion, which is a way of saying children of Jerusalem, children of God, fear not. Your king is come. Your king is come. According to the scriptures, you'll know his coming when he rides into the city on a donkey's colt, an unbroken beast of burden. Nobody rode on it before. And as I was thinking about this and reflecting upon this passage, I was thinking about this colt. This colt was born for the specific uh, purpose to hold the the king of Israel, Jesus. That was this cult's purpose. To bear on its back Jesus. The creator, the savior of God's people. Jesus doesn't ride in with a war horse, nor does he have a sword strapped to his thigh. 
like a king would. No, he rides into the city in humility and meekness. A humble king who rides on a donkey's colt. In the context of Zechariah chapter 9, listen to what Zechariah says about this king who rides into Jerusalem. Listen to what Zechariah says. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So here is this king who rides into the city, humble and meek on a donkey's colt, who will make war cease. He will bring peace. He will rule and reign. And by the blood of the covenant, he will set prisoners free. Who is that? That is none other than Jesus Christ, King and Lord. What the prophet is talking about is King Jesus who will come in humility and lay down his life, not to conquer, but to lay down his life. Not to conquer Rome, but to lay down his life and conquer sin, death, and hell. That's a triumphal entry. That is what is meant by triumphal entry. A triumph over sin. A triumph over death. A triumph over slavery to Satan and sin in your life. That is a triumphal entry. And God, and God, by the Passover lamb Jesus, who laid down his life, passes over our sins by the blood of his Son. Are you washed in the blood, friend? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? That is cryptic language for the world. What in the world does that even mean? That's disgusting language to use that terminology, that language. Blood, washed in the blood. Well, you better believe you need to be washed in the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, to be forgiven and free and cleansed of your sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Are you washed? Are you washed? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb. His entry was a humble entry, and he entered as that Passover lamb, just like on that week of Passover week, lambs would be brought into the city for the very purpose to be what? Sacrificed for the the, uh, feast in commemoration of the Passover. So too Jesus comes entering the city as that Passover lamb, fulfilling, fulfilling the Passover in his own body, in his own life. Because he is our representative, he is our substitute for sins. Thirdly, the varied reactions to the king's humble entry we see a joyful reception of praise when King Jesus rides into Jerusalem. We see a humble entry of a humble king, a humble Passover lamb. But notice the varied reactions to the king's humble entry. And this section here 
concludes with three reactions or responses from the disciples, from the crowd, and from the Pharisees. The disciples, the crowd, and the Pharisees. The disciples noticed that they didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They did not yet understand what was happening before their eyes. What is this all about? What's the true meaning of Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey's colt? From their perspective, it's similar to that of the crowd. It's time to overpower the Romans, just like Peter said in the garden. Lord, I will go with you unto death. I will take out my sword and slice off the servant's ear and fight for you. Surely now is the time for David's rule according to the messianic promise. For the disciples, they too did not have understanding to what was going on until, John says, until Jesus was glorified. What does he mean? Well, let's compare scripture with scripture. Turn with me to chapter 7, 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now Jesus says this, okay? Now listen to verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What was concealed in the Old Testament Scriptures, Zechariah chapter 9, Behold, Rejoice greatly, your king comes to you riding on a donkey's colt. Did not come to the disciples' mind and heart until the Spirit of God came upon them. Not until Jesus was glorified, when he was raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out upon the people. Then God, by the Spirit, brought to remembrance those things that are foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. We have to remember that John wrote this in the aftermath of all of these things that occurred post-resurrection, post-ascension. When King Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, this quote wasn't on their radar until Jesus was glorified and John, by the power of the Spirit, illuminating his mind and heart to remember the, the, the prophecy of Zechariah, to remember that this is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. This is, this is the one whom Zechariah was talking about. The Holy Spirit opened their hearts and minds understand the Old Testament scriptures and its fulfillment in Jesus. 
the crowd? What about their response? They're easily swayed by the emotions and experiences of the moment, of the group. They came to Jesus when they saw his mighty works, when they were fed with bread and fish. In fact, in our text, verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. Who wouldn't want to go see Jesus after doing all these signs and wonders? Where was the crowd at the crucifixion? Where, were, where was the crowd when they were, when, when Jesus was being tried before Pontius Pilate? Where was the crowd when he was hanging on the cross, bloody and bruised and beaten and dying? Why didn't the crowd protest, protest the injustice and condemn the evil deeds of the religious leaders who cried out, crucify him, crucify him? Perhaps they were the ones saying, crucify him, crucify him as well. No, Jesus died abandoned and lonely. He died alone. People are fickle. Especially when you put them in a crowd. Or a mob. People want their ears tickled and their desires satisfied. Naturally, people want a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, having the promise of worldly security, a worldly hope, a worldly promise, a utopia in this world. People look for saviors in governments and politicians and leaders. People may look for a savior in a pastor. I'm not your savior. I'm not your savior. Or they look to church for entertainment and told and being told what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. People want their ears tickled. We want to hear what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. And that is precisely the crowd. Because when we're told what we need to hear, we by nature push against it. Because the truth offends us. We by by nature do not like the truth. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Because it forces something. It requires us, it requires us to do something. The truth about Jesus requires us to love him more than we love our own lives. To love him with our whole being. To forsake sin and condemn our own sin and to look to Jesus for forgiveness. To follow God's will, not my will, or the will of this world. It forces us to do something different than the world. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What Jesus, which Jesus have you come to hear? Do you come to hear a Jesus that you want to hear? Or do you come to hear a Jesus that you need to hear? 
for the well-being of your soul. And to the glory of his name. We need to hear the Christ of Scripture. We need to hear him speak to us through his word. And not be moved by every wind of doctrine that is contrary to the word. Not be moved by every wind of our emotions and feelings. But be gripped by his word and allow his word and truth to sanctify us and guide us in our thinking and doing and believing and living. And then you have the Pharisees, the third group, who show great disdain and hatred towards Jesus. You see, they say, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. If they keep allowing Jesus to perform miracles and teach in the temple, the world, both Jew and Gentile, will go after him. And are already going after him. And they must intervene and put an end to his ministry and influence. And how do they do that? Well, let's let's think about it. They have power among the community. They use their persuasion and power to eliminate the threat to their power. In chapter 11, if you look with me in your Bible, chapter 11, verse 45. Read a portion of this text here. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to him, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. A prophetic utterance by a high priest that Jesus should die for the sins of the people, the nation. For Jew and Gentile. And he would save his people through death. And so King Jesus rides into Jerusalem. This triumphal entry which is a triumph over sin, death and hell. Through death. Through crucifixion. William Penn was a Quaker. And is best known as the founder of the province of Pennsylvania. And he wrote this. No pain, no palm. No thorns, no throne. No gall, no glory. No cross, no crown. You see, Jesus endured the pain of death to earn people victory over sin, death, and the devil. And he has won the victory, and he will win the victory when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. 
But to earn victory for us, Christian, he rode into Jerusalem to meet death head to head, face to face, and secure for us an eternal redemption. This was his mission. This was his purpose. It wasn't to be coronated king, but to be crucified. Coronation comes later. Coronation comes later when he was glorified at the right hand of the Father. And on this side of the suffering and glorification of Christ, we celebrate his victory and life eternal. Listen to Revelation 7 in conclusion. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Palm branches of victory are being waved by his people in the heavenly places. And we too celebrate this victory. And this victory not just on Palm Sunday, but every day as we celebrate Christ and his redemption for us. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who triumphs over the grave. The one who triumphed over Satan and his minions. The one who holds all things in the palm of his hands and rules and reigns over all things and all nations and all peoples and even all things in the heavenly places. Oh Lord God, we thank you that King Jesus reigns and rules in the hearts of your people. And that we, by the power of your, spe- your Spirit, have been sanctified and, and brought near to you through faith in Christ. And that we, o- o too, Lord, declare his victory. Joyfully receive him with praise and adoration. That we, o, o Lord, believe one who humbly serves his people, and has served his people through death. But now, O Lord, we serve a risen and conquering and glorious king who reigns forevermore, never to die again. And where he is, there we shall be also. Help us, O Lord, to live in the victory that he has purchased for us, the one who is our Passover lamb. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be glorified in your life, in in our lives, and in the life of the church. And may your name be proclaimed by your people. In Jesus' name.